You know, ever since I was a kid, I have been absolutely fascinated with boomerangs. Uh, I have no idea how they work. I just think that they're super cool. Uh, I mean, what other thing can you uh, come up with that is a weapon for hunting, uh, that is a percussive musical instrument, that is a battle club, that is a fire starter, a decoy for waterfowl, and a toy for children? I can't think of anything else that has that many uses uh, for it than, than a boomerang. It's an, it's an amazing, primitive engineering feat. And perhaps I've been fascinating, uh, fascinated by boomerangs for so long because I've never been able to throw one successfully. I have tried and tried again. It can never return to me. I get it out there, but I must not have the right technique or something because it, it goes out and it just it comes crashing right down. I've had friends that can do it. Uh, this past week, I, I watched a boomerang competition on YouTube, and that, that's absolutely fascinating. I mean, for crying out loud, there's even a Muppet that throws boomerang fish that comes back to him. But I never can seem to get it back. And this morning, we are moving along in our uh, sermon series on ground-level faith. And this is a series that is dedicated uh, for us to have those very practical day-to-day things in our faith. Usually I will preach messages that I'll take one passage of Scripture and I'll just work through it with what the author was intending and what God was intending and then apply it to uh, what it's like for today. Uh, However, uh, this week I'm doing, uh, the next few weeks I'm doing rather topical ones. And today we are going to look at at, uh, prayer. And it's a follow-up from last week's message on Bible reading. Um, And so... Uh, when I think about the word, uh, reading the Bible, and I think about prayer, I think of something like a circle of life. And I'm not talking about uh, an Elton John song at the beginning of uh, The Lion King. I am uh, talking about a circle by which we receive life. God's word uh, goes out, and then we respond in faith and obedience, and we also respond in in prayer. And the more that you find yourself in the circle, the, you know, if I could do a concentric circle or, or sort of a, um, I don't know, a ring that keeps going, it gets tighter and tighter as you go through in your spiritual life. But for many of us, instead of it being like a perfect circle, uh, it's, uh, it's much more like a boomerang. I mean, God's word is, it's thrown out there and we fail to respond in faith or obedience or, or prayer and it just falls right to the ground. We throw it out, and for whatever reason, it falls short. And I think that God has presented us with some help in his word. So uh, let's, let's, let's pray and ask God to help us in our prayer lives. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us to be more equipped in our walk with you. I pray that we would see you rightly, that we would go to you in boldness, that we would watch out for hindrances, and that starting today, God, you would start us on a trajectory that would bring us life. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. All right, so if we want to have a, uh, a life that is meaningful and fruitful, that, that's filled with, with growth, uh, this morning we need, to, we need to first know who we're praying to. We need to first know who it is that we're praying to. The single most fundamental aspect of prayer is the knowledge of God. We live in a world that is, uh, that is filled with essentially 
uh, a schizophrenic understanding of both God and prayer. Uh, for almost four years, I led a Bible study at, uh, at, an, at a, uh, a facility that housed uh, primarily paranoid schizophrenics. And uh, schizophrenia is often confused with multiple personality disorder. It's not multiple personality disorder. Whereas uh, someone with uh, multiple personality disorder, now it's actually called dissociative identity disorder, um, they, uh, they have multiple personalities, just as the title says. For someone that's schizophrenic, they have multiple realities. There was one gentleman that I had ministered to that was absolutely convinced. He was fine during the day, but when he was in his room at night, he was convinced that the nurses would camp out outside of his door and would whisper and plot how they were going to murder him. So he had this, this reality that was, that was not right, but that is the reality that he lived in. And for many people, both in the world and in the church, they live in a consistent state of prayerful schizophrenia. And what do I mean by that? First and foremost, I mean that when we pray without a proper understanding of God and who he is, we will offer up prayers to whatever our imaginations will come up with. And it can be anything. Just a quick sample of various thoughts will, will show that to us. For uh, in Buddhist, uh, Buddhism, they use prayer wheels, which, which will fling up prayers for uh, compassion into the atmosphere uh, to unite the physical and the spiritual, to relieve suffering and, and bring peace. Hindus will pray for peace uh, into a pantheon in several, uh, to several gods, with the goal of having union with the Brahmin, who is the, the high god, and escape reincarnation. To a Muslim in Islam, uh, they have strict prayer schedules. To Allah, who demands absolute obedience and who does not worry about relationship, but is only worried about control. And a 2004 study uh, showed that almost 30% of professing atheists still admit to praying to someone or something. Catholics will pray to departed saints, especially Mary. So the question is, who are they praying to? Who are we praying to? Modern culture would tell us that all prayer is praying to the same God. But when you look at all of these different uh, belief systems, we have to see that they are totally inconsistent with each other and contradictory. So how does that even work? Well, God, the one true and living God, the one that is presented to us in scriptures, unlike any of these... This is a God who created everyone and everything. This is a God who is sustaining all things by the work of his hand. This is a God who is vast and who is big and who is, who is out there. But this is also a God who draws near to his people. That wants to be in close fellowship with them. Yes, this God requires prayer. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus uh, says three times, and when you pray. Notice he does not say, and if you pray. He says, when you pray. It is an assumption that God's people would pray. 
Although, however, this isn't a requirement uh, that is a father who is pressing down authority on his children. This is a father figure who delights in relationship with his children and wants them to draw near to him. This is a God whom the psalmist tells us in Psalm 145 that is gracious and compassionate, that is slow to anger and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone, and his compassion rests on all that he has made. So uh, author and uh, pastor Tim Keller defines prayer in this way. That prayer is a personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. And this assumes two things. It assumes revelation, a revealing of something, and it assumes a response. So when we think about this circle of life, it starts with God. But the question is, How well do you know this God? Do you know him? The level of knowledge and belief that you have concerning God will reflect your prayer life. If you don't pray much, then you don't know God much. Maybe you know a lot about God, but you don't know God. Or maybe you're one of those who prays, and that's great, but let me ask you about how you pray. If we took an inventory of our prayers, how much would they look compared to an unbeliever's? Would they look any different? How would they differ from a secular mystic? Could you say that your prayers are distinctly Christian? Maybe you end by saying, in Jesus' name, But other than that, how do they look? Do they reflect a vibrant knowledge of who God is and what he has done and his greatness and his mercy and his love for you? Do they exalt him? Do they praise his glorious grace? So last week's message and this week's message now comes together like this. We need to be people of the word of God because it reveals who God is. His greatness and his mercy, his work of creation and his work of of redemption and what we know of him in scripture ought to not force us, but compel us to reach out to him in vibrant prayer. So we need to know who it is that we're praying to. But second of all, we also need to respond to God's character through prayer. Prayer is first and foremost a response When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, again in Matthew chapter 6, he began with acknowledging God. That is, before even uh, even he worries about our felt needs, the prayer addresses God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So from the get-go, Jesus is teaching us that prayer ought to be approached relationally. He is our Father. This week I I, I came 
across a, a, a website of a church out of San Francisco. It was, it was an ELCA church uh, on which they were not committed to our Father, and not our Father in heaven, but our Mother who is within us. It went so far as to say that their anthem was a song that said, your wisdom come, your will be done. So they, 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 they stripped the part of even God's kingdom because it's too patriarchal to them. Scripture, however, tells us that when we pray, we do so relationally to our Father who is in heaven. Further, prayer uh, in prayer, we not only acknowledge him relationally, but we plead for his work in, in this world. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a declaration of affirming who God is in his, his very heart. That through his people, through the church, his glory and his goodness and his wisdom and his might would be spreading to all. So how much does God's work and character guide our prayers? How much are our prayers driven by our experience of him and to know of him more? On the flip side, how much of our prayers simply assume the goodness of God so that we can just sort of use the system to ask for and get what we want from God? Oswald Chambers said it well when he said, we look upon prayer simply as a means of getting things for ourselves. But the biblical purpose of prayer is that we get to know God himself. Every time we pray, our horizon is altered. Our attitude to things is altered. Not sometimes, but every time. And the amazing thing is, is that we don't pray more. In the book of Psalms, it's essentially the uh, Israel's prayer book. And in Psalm 8, I love how, uh, how David uh, exemplifies how we ought to approach God in response to his, his goodness to us. In Psalm uh, chapter 8, it says, Lord our God, how magnificent is your name throughout all the earth. Do I have this one? Yes, I do. Okay. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what's a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Oh Lord, our Lord, how magnificent or majestic is your name throughout all the earth. You see how the psalmist in his prayer here Dresses the beauty and the goodness of God. We ought to follow suit. And thirdly, we need to boldly ask the Father for good gifts. 
One thing that I love about reading the accounts of Jesus in the Gospels is the simplicity by which he teaches. It's something that a child can understand. He takes the ethereal truths and brings them down to our level. And the, ser- the Sermon on the Mount, again, very fundamental verse for prayer. In chapter 7, Jesus teaches us the goodness of God in listening to our prayers. Look at what it says in verses 9 through 11. It says, Who among you, if his sons ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? James picks up on this in James chapter 1, verse 17, when he says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change, like shifting shadows. Think about that image, you know, if you stood outside all day or if you watch an object in, uh, in, uh, what do you call those, time-lapse videos, you can see the sun just coming over and you can see how those shadows, they always are, are shifting around. God is not like that. Again, the Psalms give us great examples of this. Psalm 3, David cries out, Rise up and save me, God. Psalm 4, he says, Answer me when I call God who vindicate, vindicates me. Psalm 5, he cries out, Listen to my words. Lord, consider my sighing. Pay attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, for I pray to you. Psalm 6, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Don't discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I'm weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are shaking. Then you, Lord, how long? Psalm 63, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a, dry, in a land that is dry and desolate without water. You see what the psalmists are doing. They're going to God with all of their baggage. And we have plenty of that too. They're going to God with all of their anxieties. They are even going to God when they are rejoicing. Why? Because the psalmist realized that this is God who is the God when the sun shines and he is the God when the rain falls as well. He is Lord over all. He's a big God who can do big things for his little people. And we need to go to him boldly. And how is it that we even have the right to go to a God like this? We have the right and privilege because of Jesus. Because of our inability to make ourselves good enough to be right with God, he sent his son, Jesus, to live sinlessly so that through faith it would be transferred to us. He sent Jesus to die on a cross to bridge that wide gap between us and God that we had forged because of our sinful nature. And he didn't passively do this. This is called active obedience. Jesus willingly went to the cross. And when he rose from the dead, he proved his power over sin and death to make that bridge so stable 
that we had direct access to him without fear and without worry. And now by God's grace, through God's grace, uh, by God's grace, through faith, we can go to him and boldly ask. Now what in the world, what child would have the boldness and the nerve to go to his father in the middle of the night and ask for a drink of water? It's only a child that is completely secure in his father's love and desire to give to the needs of his beloved child. And that's what we have in God our Father when we approach him boldly through faith in Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 tells us this, Therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. He's not put off by what we bring to him so that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. So we go to him. And finally, we should watch out for hindrances. We need to watch out for hindrances. One of the biggest questions that we have when it comes to prayer, and I am quite confident that every one of us have asked this question before, is why does God not answer my prayer? Is he not hearing? Does he not care? The simple cliche answer that you'll often hear is that the answer is either yes, no, or maybe. It's awfully simplistic, though. There's more to it. There are some very specific reasons why God may not be answering your prayers. And it takes a little soul-searching for us to see it. God may not be answering our prayers because of disobedience or unconfessed sin. Look at what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 59. But your iniquities are creating a separation, are separating you from you and your God. And your sins uh, have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't listen. Isaiah chapter 1. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. It doesn't have to be literal. It would just be that we've got some stuff in our lives that we need to work out with God. So also will a lack of faith or a selfish desire hinder them. James 4.3 says this. It says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So there are two epidemics that are hitting the church uh, right now and are quite a, uh, a serious threat to the church. There's more than just two, but two that relate to this. The first is called the prosperity gospel. And what we mean by the prosperity gospel, it is, uh, it is uh, uh, a preached I'm not going to say it's truth because it's not truth, that God is there to make you healthy and wealthy. So that if you go to God, uh, diseases will be, will be miraculously healed. They can be, I will say that. God can do that, but does, is that normative? Not really. And that's second of all, that when you go to God, he is going to make you wealthy. And so if you give a certain amount of money to the church, that he's, gonna, he's going to uh, give back that blessing tenfold or, or whatever it would be. Folks, that's not what the Bible says. So we ought to reject the prosperity gospel. But then also there's, there's another uh, uh, 
phrase that's out there called moralistic therapeutic deism. And this is a belief uh, in which um, has five tenets to it. Number one is that a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over humans on earth. So far, so good, right? Two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Fair enough. Number three, the central goal in life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. That's where we need to put the brakes on there. God is not calling us to be happy. He's calling us to be holy. And joy comes in holiness. Joy in the Lord certainly comes in holiness. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. So translation, um, forget about God until you're, you have a problem. Does that sound like our world? Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Well, if that were true, then none of us would make it. This is also in opposition to the biblical gospel because just like the prosperity gospel, it is rooted in self rather than God. James again says, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives in order to spend it on your pleasures. Also, your, sin, your, your, your prayers may be hindered because of idolatry. There may be something in your life that you have elevated to the level of worship, respect, and protection that is only uh, reserved for God. Ezekiel chapter 14 verse 3 says, Son of man, these men have set up idols, not on their shelves, not in, uh, you know, not on their, their walls that they bow down and pray to, but where does he say these idols live? In their hearts and have put their sinful stumbling blocks in front of themselves. Should I actually let them inquire of me? So the Lord will not compete with other things that take his place. He won't give his glory to another. And if we harbor false gods, whether it be self or money or fame or sex or power or maybe sports, even family can be an idol if we let it. These are not necessarily bad things, but they spoil when we put them in the place of an idol. Those are a few hindrances, but I'm only going to highlight one more, and it's for us married folks. Because we often forget this and ignore it. If we disrespect, dishonor, neglect, or sin against our spouse, God will not hear our prayers. God is going to take a break from listening to us. Look what, what, uh, what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as the weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, I realize that Peter here is addressing husbands and there are some textual issues that would be a great conversation to have, but get the, the gist of what he is saying here, that God cares about our marriages. And we're going to be talking about marriage here in, in a few weeks. He cares about how we treat each other. He cares about how our marriages look to an outside world to show the beauty and the grace of Christ's love for the church. 
marriage is very important to God. And if we're living in such a way that diminishes God's design for our marriage and for our spouse to make them holy, he won't hear us. Boy, is that humbling. So we need to watch out for hindrances and by the power of the Holy Spirit live lives that seek to be holy by knowing our God and seeking him through his word and responding to him in prayer. You know, boomerangs are neat. Um, They're tangible examples of things that go out and come back. Unless you're like me. (laughs) Throw them out and they just fall to the ground. And if you're like me, you'll just end up with getting a lot of steps in and a sore arm. But our prayer lives don't need to be thrown around like faulty boomerangs. God's word has gone out, and he tells us in Isaiah chapter 55. He says, My word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I sent it to do. And he has sent it out to pierce our hearts and to return to him through faith and obedience and reliant prayer. The question is, will you make prayer a priority? Will you do it? God is waiting. Go to him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more content, be sure to subscribe. If you like what you've heard, consider partnering with us in our mission. Text the word, GIVE, to 320-313-1950.